Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Numbers chapter 14. And here in Numbers 14, if you're, if you're listening for the first time, um, we go through the Old Testament on Wednesdays and then the New Testament on Sundays. Um, but if you're listening, this is like your first time listening, pause here and listen to chapter 13 first. Chapter 13 first. I might need to... I would like you to listen to much more, but this chapter 13 and 14 run into each other. It's more of a greater theme, what the Lord is teaching us about fear. And so here in chapter 14, it's very interesting because what happens here, the Lord gives us his perspective on fear. And remember, it was the spies last week when we looked at the spies, the, the, the scouts, the, uh, the, the, the recon team that was sent out. They had fear. And you see how fear becomes endemic because what happens? The scouts fear. The uh, recon team, they fear. Well, not all of them, but the majority of them because of their fear. And because fear can be endemic, it spreads to the people. And so the people were afraid. And remember, in chapter 13, verse 2, the land was already given to them. It, it, it was from the Lord. The Lord is saying, here, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm giving it to you. But it's not just here when he says, I'm giving it to you. This is a promise that was given long ago. Look what happens here in chapter 14, verse 1. The report, remember the the scouts, the, uh, the the recon team, they come back and they were like, oh, these people, the, the, you know, the, the land is great. But it says uh, uh, in, in chapter 13, verse 31, uh, it says, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And then they started to speak about how strong and mighty they are. They're great. They're giants. And it's like, wait a second here. Who is the Lord? It's like, yes, situationally speaking, you know, we have this situation, we have this uh, form of oppression or an oppressor, oh, and, and who is the Lord? And, and, and I don't mean to, 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 to ask that like, you know, like, who is the Lord? I mean, to frame, frame it properly so we can understand, like, do we know who the Lord is? His strength, His might, He is almighty. There is none, none higher. He is the Almighty. And because the fear of this recon team, because it was great and it was endemic, all of a sudden it spreads to the people. It spreads to the entirety of the congregation. Not all of them. A small, minute few stood. And here in verse 1 of chapter 14, says, So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. Whoa, so you see, they hear the report. Whoa, we can't go to the land. We can't go to the land because, look, these guys, they're, they're mighty, they're strong, they're giants. And it, when it says here at the end of verse 1 that the people wept all night, there was lamentation all night long. That's how it translates, lamentation all night long. But don't forget the promise that God gave. Let's look at Exodus. Turn with me really quick to Exodus chapter 8. Actually, uh, uh, Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 8. This is the what the Lord speaks to Moses. Moses alone. And in chapter 3 of Exodus, verse 8. This is what the Lord says to Moses. 
He says, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Oh, mind you, Israel was in Egyptian captivity. They were in bondage in Israel under, or, or bondage under in Egypt under Pharaoh. Says, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing, translates as overflowing, with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. So that's what the Lord told Moses. And so Moses, in obedience to the Lord, remember the Lord says, go to the elders. Now look at chapter 16, same chapter, same chapter, chapter three, but verse 16. And so the Lord commands Moses to go and speak to the elders, those who are older, the more mature he says, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. And so we read these verses and it's like, wait a second, Moses knew. You see where we're at in numbers and now the people are afraid, but they shouldn't be surprised because the Lord told Moses, you're going, I'm taking to a land of milk and honey. You know, they like the milk and honey, you know, that, oh, a land of milk and honey. That sounds nice. Yeah, it is nice. It's beautiful. It's from the Lord. But then he says, you know, in, in verse 8 of chapter 3, verse 8 of Exodus, don't forget there's the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. It's not a surprise. The, the, it's occupied territory, so to speak. And yet the Lord told them much, much, much prior to where we're at in Numbers, much prior, the Lord told Moses, look, this is, you're going here and it's, Currently, there, there's these Canaanites and Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. We're about to see how the, you know, when we look at the study in 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 First uh, Samuel, and we see how the Amalekites are a type of sin. But then at the same time, we look at these derivatives, anthropologically speaking, these roots of the Amalekites. People from that that are uh, uh, from the ancestry of Canaan. From the son of disobedience, remember Ham who looked on his father's nakedness? That's going way back to Genesis, post-flood. And you start to see how generationally speaking, sin begets sin. Carnality begets carnality. I mean, I say, you know, generationally speaking and referencing Genesis, early, early chapters of Genesis. But we see it alive and well today. I mean, look at a carnal dad, a carnal mom, and then look at their kids. You see, you, you don't need me to tell you, you see it. You, you, you see worldliness and the carnal nature, things of the flesh inside of a mom, inside of a dad. All you have to do is look at their kids. And, and you see it. You, you hear a dad cuss left and right, and then you see the kid cuss left and right. You don't need me to tell you this. We see it. And that's how we see this generational impact. But then there's the, the opposite is true. 
look at godliness. Godliness, a godly mom, a godly dad raising their kids in godliness. And you don't see those things. You don't see the impact of the world in the kids. Why? Because the little ones are being trained up in the ways that they should go. And then ultimately they have their own choice to make. But you see this. So Moses knew. He knew that they were going into the land of the Canaanites. And now in verse 16 of Exodus 3, the elders knew. But it doesn't end there. In Exodus chapter 13, turn with me to Exodus 13. In verse 5, the people also knew. It says in chapter 13, verse 5 of Exodus, And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites. You see, it's not a surprise. They knew. Into the land of the Canaanites, and of the Hittites, and of the Amorites, and of the Hivites, and of the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Now he goes on to speak about you know the, the uh, 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 unleavened bread and processes in accordance to the law. I'm not advocating the law, but you know that's we we've already studied that in our studies in Exodus. We've already studied that. But what I'm pointing to is the fact that they already knew what to expect in the land flowing with milk and honey. But now let's go back to Numbers 14. And in Numbers 14, here they are right at the very precipice of entering into the land of milk and honey. Right at the very precipice except they're incapacitated by fear. Fear. That says a lot for us as believers. Because the people here in Numbers 14, Israel, God's promise is not forgotten. You see, they, 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 they like the milk and honey. They want the milk and honey. And naturally, you know, I completely understand. I want milk and honey for my life. I want it for your life too. And God's promise is not forgotten because they remember the milk and honey. But God's promise is confronted. You see, there's confrontation to God's promise in the form of the Canaanites and, you know, all the people that were there. Like in, in, in chapter 13, verse 29, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Canaanites in verse 29 of chapter 13 in Numbers. It's not a surprise. I mean, here they're actually like about to encounter like if, in our, what we looked at in Exodus. It was like a far, remember, they're in Egyptian captivity and it's a far promise. Like, yes, I like this promise and, you know, I hope this comes to pass. But now that they're there right at the precipice of entering the land of milk and honey, flowing with milk and honey, milk and honey. Now the promises of God there's confrontation to the promise of God, which shouldn't, which isn't a surprise because they knew in Exodus 3, Exodus 13, they knew. But what happened? Fear. You see, fear set in. And the fear spread. And in chapter 13, you know, it was only uh, 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 Moses who was, I mean, what we see, Moses who was vocal and Caleb. Only Moses and Caleb were vocal. So two among hundreds of thousands of people 
Think of the wailing. The loud wailing when all the congregation, in verse 1, all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. The lamentations all night is how it translates. But they knew. The whole time they knew. They knew what the Lord was bringing them into. And so now let's continue in verse 2. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. This word for complain is to murmur and complain and grudge and to be obstinate. Murmuring and complaining, you see. And we've already studied murmuring and complaining. In chapter 12, in chapter 13, we see the murmuring and complaining. And not just murmuring and complaining, you know, all... The, the creature comforts. We have manna. Oh, I want meat now. The Lord gives them meat. All this murmuring and complaining. But here it takes a little, it takes a different turn here. In verse 2, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. Whoa. You see? Their state of bondage was preferred over this state that they're in right at the precipice of the fulfillment of God's promises, entering the land flowing with milk and honey. Right at the very precipice. The only difference is, instead of the Canaanites being a distant idea where the Lord is leading us, like in in, in Exodus 3 and Exodus 13, the Canaanites were like a far it was just a, a, a far promise. But right here, it's like at their doorstep, opposition. And they're afraid. And it's not just the people that were afraid. Look what started it. The scouts. The recon team, not all of them. The ones who were to spy out the land and check things out and, you know, give a report, you know, what's it like? Give a report to Moses. Because of their fear, the congregation fear. And now look what the people are saying. We should have died in Egypt. It would have been better if we had died in Egypt. That's what they're saying here in verse 2. It would have been better. Let this be a hardcore message for us today, all of us, myself included, of how the Lord views fear. Remember, he never changes. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So, you know, we're referring to chapter 14 with like freshness. Oh, that was so long ago. But to the Lord, last week, you know, less than last week. It's fresh. He never changes. And the people said, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. After all God has done and how he has revealed himself to the people, look what's happening because of fear, as a result of fear. They remember the promises. They like the milk and honey. We want the milk and honey. I want the milk and honey. I want the good stuff. I want the blessings. I like the good stuff. but I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight for it. I, I, I don't want the blessings to be confronted. Let me tell you something. 
We have an enemy. We have an enemy who roams around like a lion waiting for whom he may devour. His name is Satan, the devil. Beelzebub, that serpent of old. A murderer from the beginning. And he will, he does, and he will confront God's promises. Him or his minions, his demons. And people who aren't Christians, the ones who Satan already has. All of that side of evil will confront God's promises. And now the people are saying, wait a second, you know, it's starting to enter into their minds. God can't. God can't. Because the land of milk and honey, it was promised to them. And now because of fear, in their minds, not just in their minds, what's coming out of their mouth, the outpouring of their heart. They're saying, okay, we're not going to go. You know, we're promised this land. The land flowing with milk and honey. But you know what? We're so afraid that no thanks. It would have been better to die in Egypt or it would have been better to die in this wilderness. You see? And now they start to question in verse 3. Why has the Lord brought us to this land? You see, now they're blaming God. They murmur and complain in verse 2. All the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. Remember, they, they were the ones that made, they provoked Aaron. They, they were the ones, uh, Aaron, make us this calf, make us this calf. And now they're blaming uh, 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 Aaron. They complain against Moses and Aaron, and now they're blaming God in verse 3. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? You see? Wow. What a difference. Like, what happened? Israel, what's happening here? What's, what, what's going on? And I say this, you know, we're in number, we have the luxury, we have the full counsel of the word of God, and we have the luxury of referring to the book of Numbers with um, historicity. Oh, that was for long ago. That was just, that was, you know, that was not for this dispensation. We use all these big words. That was another dispensation. The Lord was doing something completely different. Really? The Bible says he never changes. And because of fear, fear, look what's happening here. They start to blame the Lord. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? That our wives and children should become victims, you see? Oh, what a noble cause. They want to protect their wives. They want to protect their children. Wow, what a noble cause. Wow, how considerate, how thoughtful. Don't forget in chapter 13, verse 2, it was already, the land was given to them. But then not only that, remember that when we started our study in chapter 1 of Numbers, this is able-bodied men, 20, you know, like young adults, but still adults, able-bodied men able to go to war. So you hear their complaint. Oh, that our wives and children should become victims. We don't want that to happen. Why has the Lord brought us to this land? Well, wait a second. Do you not know who the Lord is? Oh, Israel. 
I mean, we're looking at these passages and, you know, this, this is what I think about in my heart of hearts. Like, wait a second, Israel, have you forgotten? Do you not know who the Lord is? Do you not reflect to his promises and on his promises that he gave you long ago when you were in Egypt? What's happening here, Israel? But then I look in my own heart and I apply the question to my own life. What's happening? And then I look at the state of the church and then I ask the question to Christians, believers, to you. What's happening? Why are we incapacitated by fear? When we have, I mean, shame on us because Numbers 14, I mean, if you take your Bible and you put your hand, your finger in Numbers 14 and you look all the way to the left, you know, I, I teach out of America, so, you know, all the way to the left. That's a smaller chunk of Bible than what's on the right. So shame on us because we have even more promises. And yet we're going to be incapacitated by fear. I can't tell you how many times in my own life and, you know, in talking with other Christians. But in my own life, more when I was younger and even it's it's something we always deal with. Young and old. But that's one of the beauties of maturity is that it happens less and less and less. Because we learn to fear the Lord over anything, anyone, any situation. We learn to fear the Lord and Him alone. And a lot of times that's a lesson that we learn through experiences, through, through life, through our own journeys. But we're about to see that this the reason why the 11 day journey turned into 40 years it's sad it chapter 14 it breaks my heart it breaks my heart for israel it breaks my heart for christians for believers because we get caught up in the same mindset of fear being incapacitated by fear politically speaking i mean you know i i teach out of the united states western cultures you know, I know we have, you know, listeners in other parts of the world, in Arab countries, in Asian countries, other parts of the world. But, you know, in, in, in the Western culture, you know, we have listeners in Western, in, in Europe and, you know, in America and uh, 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 all over. But what blows me away so much is that, you know, it's to say, like, wait a second, like, let us be a people that learns this great message about fear because the last days, it's no joke. There is plenty of opportunity for us to fear. Plenty of opportunity. Because the Antichrist is going to kill Jews and Christians. And he will prevail against the saints. There's going to be tremendous opportunity for us to fear. All these different opportunities for us to fear and to be afraid and to be scared. But we fear the Lord and the Lord only. Politically speaking, you know, so many people, they're like, okay, what do I do? You know, the, the, uh, the political factions look like this. The, 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 polit the current of politics in whatever area, it looks like this. So what do I do? They like to apply logic and intellect to a situation. 
okay, then, you know, this is happening, so I'm going to do this now. This is happening, so I'm going to buy all these guns, all these rifles. So if they come knocking on my door, I'm going to blow them away. Oh, no, you know, the, the political climate looks like this. And so, therefore, I'm going to make a move from point A to point B. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And it's like, wait a second. Let's slow down. What does the Lord desire? It's very interesting what's happening across the globe. I can make a strong case. And, you know, I could have said this a month ago, two months ago, a year ago even. But... As we progress further, it seems like weekly I can make an even stronger case of the hand of judgment coming upon the world. God's judgment. It's not, you know, the Bible refers to perilous times as perilous for a reason. The Lord refers to times of sorrow for a reason as times of sorrow. Because it's sad, it's devastating. But where is Goshen? Where are the people of God who have light in their homes, light in their lives? It's going to get darker and darker and darker and darker. The Bible says no flesh would be saved, even the elect. Unless those days were shortened. That's how bad it's going to be. That in order for people to be saved... The days have to be shortened because if they were a little bit longer, no flesh would be saved. Think about the state of the church. The state of the saint, I'll say. If you're pre-tribulation, I'll say, okay, pre-tribulation rapture, I'll say, okay, the state of the saint in those days. It's going to be perilous times and we're getting closer and closer. But let us learn this strong, strong message about fear and how the Lord deals with fear how he accounts fear unto his people unto his children the people here they're saying it would have been better it would have been better if for us to if, if we had died in, in verse you know if, if only we had died in this wilderness why has the lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our lives and our children should become victims would it not be better for us to return to egypt Better, they say. Better to go back into bondage. Remember, chapter 13, verse 29, they knew who would be there. Look at verse 29. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell in the sea along the banks of the Jordan. They knew. All in accordance to what the Lord told in Exodus 3 and Exodus 13. All, everything, everything is happening. I mean, if we were to take a time machine right to this very moment, it's happening in real time. It's not just in our minds. We think, okay, we're we're in Egypt and, you know, I don't know when it's going to happen. Maybe next year, maybe two years, maybe five years, maybe 10 years. But one day when the Lord brings us to the land of milk and honey, we're going to uh, uh, confront the Canaanites. Oh, wow. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Okay, let's go. Let's get out of Egypt. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But then, what happens when the Canaanites are right at the door? When it is time, okay? And, you know, don't forget that, you know, what the Lord did with Egypt. How he stepped in and destroyed Egypt. And you think, okay, why isn't the Lord doing that to Canaan? 
why isn't he doing it? You know, the, the battle belongs to the Lord. But who are his vessels that he uses? I mean, there are times in the Bible where the Lord says, okay, go to sleep. I'll take care of it. I'll handle business. And there's other times in the Bible where the Lord says, no, you do it. I'm going to do it, but it's going to be through you. We see those, Old Testament and New Testament. You see? So what do we do? Do we let the Lord do it or does the Lord do it through us? That's what's so beautiful about intimacy. You have to have intimacy with the Lord. You have to be able to hear his voice and know his will. Remember when the Lord says to the disciples, you know, you guys are servants, but then you read chronologically, you get further in. He says, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends because friends don't wonder what the master is doing. Friends already know what the master is doing. Intimacy. That's what happens in intimacy. You know the will of the Lord. Why? Because you're in his word. You're on your knees before the Lord and you're praying and you're reading and you're studying his word. You're getting closer and closer and closer to the heart of God, abiding in Christ and Christ in you. Intimacy. Then you know his will. Outside of that, a people who don't know the will of the Lord, which is, I have to tell you is the masses, the majority of people do not know the will of the Lord. If that's you, stay in the word. Seek intimacy with him. Seek the Lord, his word, his will, and pray. And yield to him. Don't yield to your carnal nature. Yield to him, the word of the Lord, and the power of the Holy Spirit. You yield and that's what happens in intimacy. And so the people, they're saying, it would be better for us to go. They're right. The, the milk and honey, it's right there. But look what fear is doing. It would be better to be in bondage. It would have been better for us to return to Egypt. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt, they ask? In verse 4. So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Do you see what's happening here? This is one of the saddest parts of the Bible. There's a sad, devastating parts of Scripture. But this, it's, whoa, what is happening? It would be better to go back to Egypt. It would be better to be in bondage and let us select a leader and return to Egypt. You see, now it's instead of the Lord's will, it's our will be done. What about for us today? Instead of the Lord's will being done, how many times do we say, my will be done? Myself included, we're in the same boat. How many times do we say, my will be done? Now you read this and you're like, okay, this is for Israel. That was for that dispensation. Remember, the Lord never changes, number one. But is this reserved to the Old Testament only? To Israel only? No. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. A little refresher course because we just got done with the book of Romans. And here in Romans 8. One little verse. One little verse. Romans 8 verse 15. Brother Paul, he says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. 
You see? God's Holy Spirit. Inside of us. Inside of you. Inside of me. You know, I, I say that, but, you know, the fruit will testify. The fruit will affirm that. If there is no fruit, you know, you need to have your heart so rendered to the Lord. I say you, we, continually, daily, a heart so rendered to the Lord or in complete and total surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Just like Brother Paul says in verse 15 here of chapter 8 Romans, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. You see what fear does for Israel in our study in Numbers? Because of fear, they're saying, let's go back to bondage. Because of fear. Let's go back to Egypt. You know, we could have, we had uh, the fish, the leeks, the garlic, just like we looked at a couple chapters ago. Oh, we had it good in Egypt. You know, I could eat fish. I don't have fish here in the wilderness, but in Egypt, man, I could eat fish and the garlic and the leeks. I could eat it all, and it was delicious. Oh, by the way, did you forget the chains? Did you forget the shackles on your ankles, on the shackles on your wrists? Did you forget about those? Yeah, I'm speaking in the embodiment of Old Testament Israel, but what about you and me today? Oh, we had it good. I had it so good when, you know, five years ago when I had all my friends, 10 years ago I had all my friends and would have a good time, would sit around the table and laugh. And don't forget, did you have chains then? That's the danger of fear. Satan, he wants you to be afraid. He likes you afraid. He doesn't like it when you fear the Lord. He likes it when you fear him. And he likes it when you fear his demons and his minions and the people that follow him, the people that has, he has deceived. He likes that. Why? Because he can get you back into bondage. It's an avenue by which he can get you back into bondage, back into Egypt because of fear. Brother Paul says, hey, guys, you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. No fear. Very interesting. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Turn with me really quick. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And here, Brother Paul says to Brother Timothy, pastor to pastor. And he says to Pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, a prophecy about the last days. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. Now, this word for itching ears is the only time you see it in the Bible. Itching ears. It's to itch and to tickle, but it's the desire to hear something pleasant. I've had people tell me before, you know, oh, I want to come to church and feel good about myself. I want to come to church and feel good. I tell you the truth, the only time you can listen to a sermon and feel good about yourself is when you're obedient to the Lord. That's the only time. Or you can seek after a false teacher who will tickle your ears. There are plenty, the majority. Churches on every corner. And the majority will tickle your ears. I've been in a church, my pastor in California. 
before the Lord called me into pastoral ministry. I felt like, you know, I would sit in the pews and I felt like the person behind me lit a fire underneath me. Not just a little candle, not just a little flame, but put like 10 logs underneath my chair and just lit it on fire. Dumped a whole bunch of gasoline and just lit it on fire. At what? The words of the Lord spoken by my pastor. He would teach, he would open up the Bible. And I used to hate my, I didn't take a Bible with me. I used to hate him. I'd go there and listen, be like, what? This is like garbage. You know, this is, I hate this. And then the Lord, he messed me up. He really, really chastised me. He really did a number on me. So I started to take my Bible. And then the pastor would say, turn here. And I would turn and then I would follow verbatim, word by word. I'd follow everything. And then I realized something. He's just the messenger. My problem isn't with this guy. My problem was with the Lord, and the Lord further hammered me. He really messed me up. And when I repented, not just a blanket repentance, you know, there was that, but there was, you know, I would repent for little things. Lord, forgive me. I didn't know. And then to keep reading the Bible, Lord, forgive me. I didn't know. I thought this, you know, this seemed good to me, but wow, Lord, I, you know, thank you for stopping me in my path, and Lord, forgive me. For every little thing, I read the Bible and then, you know, feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Just put my finger where I left off, close my eyes. Father, forgive me. And then I'd go to service, go to church, sit in the pews, and I felt so beautiful. Like, wow, there's no more fire. Nobody's lighting a fire under my seat. You see? I tell you the truth. If you want to listen to a sermon and feel good about yourself... Obey the Lord. If you want to listen to a sermon and feel good, feel really, you know, warm and fuzzy inside. I mean, who doesn't want that? It only comes through obedience. Only. Because you know what happens? You might be a crackhead. And you become a Christian. And you put down the crack. And then you run in Christian circles. And then you understand like, wow, the Christians don't like it when I do crack. Christians don't like it when I do my sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. And so you have a little secret life. And then all of a sudden you come to church, you sit and there's no secrets with the Lord. And you listen to a message and you feel like a knife in your heart. Like, whoa, you know. Oh, And instead of in repentance, instead of falling to your knees in repentance to the Lord, you know what people do? They leave. Oh, this guy's mean. I'm not going to listen to him anymore. I'm out of here. I'm going to go to this other place where it's going to tickle my ears. That's what Paul is writing here in, 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 in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, a letter to a pastor. Pastor Timothy. He says in verse 3, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I mean, it's one thing to have sound doctrine. But it's another thing entirely to remain in sound doctrine. People will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears or, you know, the desire to hear something uh, pleasant, they will heap up for themselves teachers or they will, it translates as, it says they will heap up, it translates as to seek as accumulative, to seek as accumulative. Have you ever talked with people who, you know, they have book upon book upon book upon book upon book upon book about, you know, how to do this, how to do this. Oh, the New York Times bestselling author. Oh, yeah, this was written by this pastor. This was written by this evangelist. This was written by this, 
you know, how to be a prayer warrior, New York Times bestseller. Oh, look, this guy has a, 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 a doctorate in theology and he wrote this book. And look, I'm reading this. Look how smart I am. But then you talk to them about the Bible and they're stupid. They're fools. They have all these books. This book written by this organization, this book uh, published by this organization. And oh, they have, you know, it's, it sounds like a nice Christian organization. Oh, yeah, I have all these books and all these. But where's the knowledge of the Bible? That's what it's talking about here. They will heap up for themselves to seek as accumulative. That's what blows me away about Sola Scriptura. Everybody says, oh, Sola Scriptura, Sola Scriptura. And I'm, I'm all for it, Sola Scriptura. But it's very interesting how those in the camp of Sola Scriptura have the biggest libraries. Why is that? Why is that? I mean, if you're going to go around saying Sola Scriptura, beautiful. But where's the Sola Scriptura? That's what I want to know. Why heap up for themselves teachers? Why heap up for yourself teachers? If that's you. What's wrong with the Bible? You see? Only the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What's wrong with the Bible? Oh, but this guy has New York Times bestseller and, you know, he's a pastor. He's, you know, he a pastor of 10,000 people. That's nice. Are, are, are those words, are, are those inspired by the Holy Spirit? You see? Because they have itching ears, because they have the desire to hear something pleasant, they will heap and seek as accumulative teachers. Teachers. In verse 4, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. That's the days that we're living in today. Turned aside to fables. Have you ever talked to somebody? They have all these stacks of books written by this guy, this lady, this person, prayer warrior, this, how to do this, how to do this. And so, wow, what a good Christian. Wow, this person's a strong Christian. Wow, that's so impressive. But then you talk to them about theology. And they're fools. They have no idea about the deep things of Holy Scripture. No idea, no clue. Thus fulfills what the Bible is saying here. They will turn their ears away from the truth. Paul says, the time will come. And I say to you, the time is here. In verse 4, they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables, turned aside to fiction. And I love verse 5, but you, but you, and that's what I say to you, my friend. The large, vast majority of you, I have no idea who you are. I only know a small fraction. But you, if I know you, but you, if I don't know you, but you, but you, be watchful, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. What is my ministry? What is my ministry? I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. 
Well, how do I know? How do I know? Do you have intimacy? No. There you go. Get intimacy. Get intimate with the Lord. Do you have intimacy? Yes, I do have intimacy. Okay. Be patient. Wait on the Lord. You see? Oh, you're so mean-spirited. Can't we just get along? Okay. I, I get what you're saying. Look at verse 2. This is what Pastor Paul says to Pastor Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. You see? There you go. Boom. That's what's so beautiful about the Bible. It just fulfills exactly what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You say, wait a second, we're in numbers. Why are we here? Why are we here? Because the fearful, just like in our study on Sundays, the young people, young Christians, babes in Christ, they don't know these things, number one. And you know what they do? They listen to these false teachers. They listen to the ones who will tickle their ears and whisper sweet nothings to them from the pulpit. They lend ears to these people. You see, without understanding that, wait a second, the Lord is at work. The Lord is doing something. Fear. That's the danger of fear, the danger of being youthful, the danger of being young, a babe in Christ. You know, as we, you know, not to hearken to, I mean, I say hearken to our study in Corinthians, but, you know, we're on Wednesday. We're in our, our study in Numbers. No maturity. No maturity. You know, you see what's happening to Israel when they say, oh, let's go back into bondage. Let's go back into bondage. You say, oh, that's the Old Testament. That was for another dispensation. It's different now for Christians. Is it really? We know the Lord never changes. We know Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, as is written in Holy Scripture. But as New Covenant believers, is it possible for us to return to bondage? Absolutely. Absolutely. How does that happen? Through many other factors. But what Paul says here to Pastor Timothy, he says the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. You see? Heap up for themselves. Seek as accumulative let me see what this guy says. Let me see what, let me put my Bible to the side and let me see what this guy says and this guy says and this guy says and this guy says. In verse four, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. You see? Back to bondage. Let's go back to numbers. Let's go back to numbers here. And so the people, Israel, they're murmuring and complaining. Murmuring and complaining, and they're fearful. And because of their fear, now Moses and Aaron, they're the bad guys. Moses and Aaron are the bad guys, and because of their fear, as a result of fear, now they're blaming the Lord. Verse 3, why has the Lord brought us to this land? You see, they're blaming the Lord. And their, their solution in verse 4, let's go back to Egypt. Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. 
And you see in verse 5, in Numbers 14, verse 5, then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces. Pause here for a moment. I love this so much. I mean, look at all that is happening here. And so far, what we've looked at in, in chapter 14, and it's not good. I don't like it. It's like, what's happening, Israel? What's happening? But then you look at beautiful Moses and Aaron. What do they do? They fall on their faces. That's godliness. They fall on their face before the Lord. When all the multitudes are saying, let's go back to Egypt, let's go back to Egypt, what are the godly doing? And that's what's so beautiful about the remnant according to grace. When all the multitudes are saying, oh, let's read this book. You know, look at all my stacks of books that I read. Let me be turned aside to fables. Let me get my ears tickled. tickled. Let me let this guy whisper sweet nothings in my ear. Let me leave this fellowship and I'll go to this other fellowship. I want to feel good about myself. I don't want to endure sound doctrine, so I want to feel good about myself, and I'm going to find this guy who's going to do that for me. But you. Just like Moses and Aaron here, what happens? They fall on their faces. When the multitudes are going into crazy town, Moses and Aaron, they're on their faces before the Lord. What a beautiful picture we have here. Not among the multitude. Among the multitude, it's not so pretty. Among the remnant, beautiful, beautiful Moses and Aaron on their faces before the Lord. He says, and then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And then we see more. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. And remember, this is in our study last week. This is of the tribe of Ephraim and, 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 and Judah. Joshua and Caleb. Who were among those who had spied out the who had spied out the land tore their clothes. You see, tearing of the clothes it's like a sign of mourning, a sign of mourning. Remember, like when uh, uh, Jesus was before the high priest in the council, and he would say, you know, you say you're the son of God, and he says, you know, I am. And then they tear, the the high priest tears his robe, and he's like, you know, blasphemy. You know, that was a mockery of Jesus Christ. That was a mockery and complete and total rejection of what the Bible teaches in accordance to the law. They're, he's straight up looking at the fulfillment of the law in the face. And he tears his clothes. Oh, look how even his act of tearing his robe was like, you know, uh, uh, mockery was all for show. Whitewashed tomb. It was all for show. But here, biblically, it's the sorrow. In the Old Testament, you're going to see it's a sign of mourning. To tear your clothes, it's a sign of mourning. And that's what happens with jo Joshua and Caleb. Look how beautiful this is. The multitudes... The multitudes, because of eight spies, they were afraid. And eight spies, they go out and all of a sudden they go out and they spread these lies. I shouldn't say eight tribes, it was 12 because from, from each tribe. So 12 spies, so 10 minus 2, so 12 minus 2, 10. So 10 spies. 10 spies, they were afraid. And because of the fear of the 10 Look at how it spread to multitudes, to 10,000, to 100,000. Remember when we did the, the, the accounting in numbers, the one, two, three, and you see, you know how one tribe equaled this number of people and the other tribe equaled this number and it told to hundreds of thousands of people. That's a lot of people. And 10, peep, 10 spies, the, the fear of 10 people, how it was endemic to hundreds of thousands. And then we look at a little remnant in the camp. 
Moses and Aaron, and Joshua and Caleb. So now, instead of two, we have four. Wow. They tear their clothes. Joshua and Caleb, they tear their clothes. They were among those who spied at the land. They tear their clothes. A sign of mourning, like, what's happening? And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, notice here, all these times in chapters past, and we're going to see it in future chapters, but all these times in, 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 in chapters before, you see Moses and Aaron speak. Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron. And now what do we see here? Joshua and Caleb, Joshua and Caleb. Now they begin to speak. They speak, spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel. You see how beautiful this is? The next generation. The next generation. You see? This is godliness. Righteousness passing on to the next generation. The example of Moses, the example of Aaron, and now you have Joshua and Caleb because they've learned by example. Now they see godliness and they, it, it's like motivation. It helps them in their walk with the Lord and their stand with the Lord. And so they speak. And what did they say in verse 7? The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. Very, very different from what the, te the, the 10 other people said. You know, the scaredy cats. Because of their fear. Very different here. He says in verse 8, If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. You see? If the Lord delights in us, then he will. Not he might or he won't. Or, you know, whatever. He will. Look at their faith. Look at their faith juxtaposed to the ten. Look at their belief, their faith juxtaposed to the ten, juxtaposed to the multitude, to the hundreds and thousands. Everybody's afraid. And you have two old guys on their faces before the Lord, and then you have the two young guys standing. What a beautiful picture here, what's happening. I mean, it's ugly in the multitude. But it's beautiful among the remnant. You see how beautiful this is? And so in verse 9, Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land. For they are our bread. It translates as they are food to consume. They are our bread. Their protection has departed from them. You see, carnal eyes can't see this. Carnal eyes, the multitude, the carnal eyes of the multitude, they were looking at, oh no, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the, the Amalekites, the, the Hittites, the Amorites. They were looking at that. But spiritual eyes, non-carnal eyes, can discern their protection has departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Remember, this whole time, the old guys are praying. The old guys, Moses and Aaron, they're on their faces before the Lord. And then you have this next generation of righteousness. Now they're speaking. This next generation, the younger generation, now they're standing. Just like we looked at Timothy, the older gener generation, Paul, was imparting wisdom and knowledge and instruction to the next generation, young Pastor Timothy. You see? I have to say something about church succession. A lot of times what's very popular in the church is for a guy to start a church and treat it like a business. They use a business model. They say, okay, I'm the pastor and you know, my son is the co-pastor or my son is the elder 
and my other son is the co-elder, co-pastor, and then my daughter is the worship leader, and my other daughter is, you know, whatever ministry, and my other daughter is whatever, and they treat church like it's a family affair. You cannot do that. Imagine if, 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 if Aaron treated worship as a family affair. No. Remember, the Lord killed two of his sons. The Lord killed two of his sons because they offered strange fire. Each individual person has to make their own decision to the Lord and whether or not they're going to obey the Lord. What's very common in churches today is carnal succession. Or they say, okay, I'm the pastor of the church and, you know, my son is the co-pastor. And when I die, the church will be his. No. It doesn't work. Where is godliness? If, if you're a pastor and you've done that, you know, it, it could be. It could be that, you know, your son is godly. And praise the Lord if that's the case. But what if your son is wicked? What if your daughter is wicked? And you're going to treat church like, you know, a business model? You're going to apply a business model? Draft up the legal paperwork to where when you die, you know, the succession goes to your son, goes to your daughter? That's business. That's carnal. God's business? No, he killed the carnal. Strange fire. And he consumed two of Aaron's sons with fire because they offered strange fire. You see, look at this. Beautiful, beautiful old men on their faces before the Lord. And these beautiful, beautiful young men. And now they're speaking. Look at, I mean, how many times... Where, where have we seen Joshua and Caleb be vocal in the past? Not very often. I mean, it's, it's very limited where they were vocal. And now they're speaking to multitudes. How beautiful this is. But it's not well received. Verse 10. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory. See, it's very interesting here. The, the, the entire congregation said, kill them. Beautiful, righteous men are speaking. Young men, Caleb and Joshua, they're speaking to the multitudes. I mean, picture the old people. How dare this young kid speak to me like that? I am his elder. Those little pipsqueaks, you know, I saw them when they were babies. I am his elder. And he's telling me not to rebel against the Lord. He's telling me not to fear the people of the land. He's instructing me. Oh, how dare you do that? Come on, guys, let's stone these little pipsqueaks. You see, look at what's happening here. This is the response of the blind. You see, let's kill these kids. Let's kill Joshua and Caleb. Let's kill them. Let's stone them. This is the response of the blind. And this is what fear begets. Remember, it all started with their fear because of the scouts, the report of these scouts, except for two, with the reports of, of the spies. Because they were, they were fearful, and it spread to the assembly, to the entire congregation of Israel. Instead of ten, it's hundreds of thousands. Everybody's scared, except for a small remnant. And the multitude, they want to kill. They want to throw stones at Joshua and Caleb. In verse 10, now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before the children of Israel. So Caleb and Joshua were almost stoned. Caleb and Joshua were almost stoned. The congregation, okay, let's pick. I wonder if some of them were actually picking up stones. Okay, we're going to kill these kids. How dare they speak to us like that? They presume to teach us. You know, we're the old, we're the mature. They're supposed to, they're supposed to surrender to us. 
Come on, let's kill them. And then the glory of the Lord appeared. And then something happens. But we're going to we're going to study this chapter a little different. Right here instead of going to verse 11, let's go to verse 36. Verse 36. So now what what happens here is in verse 36 says, now the man whom Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land. Those very men who brought in the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. That's what verse 36 and 37 says. You say, wait a second. Why did we skip verse 11 and all this big chunk? Well, we're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. But from verse 10 to verse 36, that's what the people are seeing. So say, for example, we're in the congregation of the people. We're, we're amongst the assembly. We're amongst the multitude. And somebody in the audience, somebody in the crowd says, you know, we hear Caleb and Joshua. They speak, do not rebel against the Lord. Verse 9, do not rebel against the Lord. Don't fear, for the, for, don't fear the people of the land. The Lord has given it to us. Their protection has departed from the, the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And we're hearing them say that. We're looking at them say that. We, we're, we're, our eyes are on these two young men speaking such. And right next to them, we see the two old men, Moses and Aaron, on their, on their faces. And then all of a sudden, we hear somebody cry out from the multitude. From among us, the multitude. We hear somebody, somebody cry out, stone them, stone them. And we're just like wondering, like, what is happening? We're like, we're in the multitude. And we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. Oh my goodness, I, 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 I can't believe this is happening. Stone Joshua, stone Caleb. You know, that Joshua is the assistant of Moses and you want to stone him? Oh my goodness, what's happening here? Oh goodness, what do we do? I'm afraid, I, you know, I don't want to go to war. I don't want to fight these big, uh, these big giants. They're stronger than me. I can't fight them. I'm scared. I'm terrified. What do I do? And then all of a sudden the glory of the Lord appeared. Verse 10, all of a sudden the glory of the Lord appears in the tabernacle, tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. You notice, when, when the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle, sometimes it was before the elders. Sometimes it was before the priesthood. Sometimes it was before Moses and Aaron. Sometimes it was just before Moses. But now it's before everybody. And mind you, don't forget that there's a cloud that is leading them. You know, from position to position, there's the cloud. So don't forget, all, there's multiple things happening here. So we're done with verse 10, and then we fast forward to verse 36, where we see the men, the scaredy cats, the original scaredy cats, the spies, the recon team, the scouts. Those men, in verse 36, whom Moses sent to spy at the land who returned and made the congregation complain, murmur and complain, Against him by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. You see? But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jeph uh, Jephunneh, remained alive. So, so in that example, we're in the multitude. We're like incapacitated by fear, like a deer in the headlights. What do we do? What do we do? What do we, do? we see Moses and Aaron? And, you know, Moses, can you say something? Oh, be, be quiet. He's, he's on his face before the Lord. Okay, Aaron, can you say something? Be quiet. He's on his face before the Lord. 
Joshua and, and Caleb, they say something, they say this, and it's like you hear people kind of murmuring and complaining. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. Who are we going to choose to lead us to go back to Egypt? It was better when we were in bondage. It was better when we were in the wilderness. And all this commotion, murmuring and complaining, murmuring and complaining. And then all of a sudden, the 10 scaredy cats, they fall dead. They fall dead. They died by the plague before the Lord. Translate, you know, by the hand of the Lord. They died immediately. They just fall. Boom. <gasps> These guys, they wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua and Caleb remained alive. Verse 38, they remained alive. Of the men who went out to spy, the land, spy, uh, spy out the land. You see? They're standing. They're standing when everybody wanted them dead. The multitude, let's kill them. Let's kill them. In verse 39, then Moses told these words to all the children of Israel. Now let's stop here. Let's stop here. Verse 39, then Moses told these words to all the children of Israel. Stop right there. Let's go back to verse 11. Remember, Moses and Aaron had been on their faces the whole time. All this commotion is happening. All this drama, drama, all this drama is happening. And you see something beautiful, how the next generation, Joshua and Caleb, they say what they have to say. They say in verse, I shouldn't say what they have to say, but they say what, you know, the, 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 the passion in their heart. And now they speak in verse seven through verse nine, they speak, do not fear the people. Do not fear, you know, the, their protection is departed from them. They're not afraid. And the multitude, they want to kill them. Somebody picks up some stones. Come on, guys. Let's kill these little pipsqueaks. How dare they presume to teach us? How dare, how dare they do that? Let's kill them. And then all of a sudden, the original spies, the 10 spies, boom, they fall to the ground dead. Dead. In that example, like we're in the audience, we're in the crowd, we're in multitude, incapacitated by fear. What is happening? Oh, my goodness. They, you know, they wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb. These other spies, they they they, they fall. They're dead. The life is out of them. What is happening here? Moses and Joshua, they've been on their faces the whole time. And now Moses gets up. He's like, okay, you know, finally, Moses, you know, you should have been speaking. Speaking, you should have said something. Moses stands up and he speaks to the children of Israel. What does he speak to the children of Israel? Rather than continue in verse 39, let's look at the meanwhile. While all this thing, you know, so let's go back to verse 10. All the congregation, they wanted to stone Joshua and, and, and Caleb. And then the glory of the Lord appears. Now, unbeknownst to the multitude, meanwhile, let's look at what's happening in this very close session of intimacy. I say session not to cheapen, but just to exemplify this period of time where Moses has intimacy with the Lord. And not just Moses, Aaron too, but it's with Moses right now. This beautiful, beautiful moment of intimacy while all this drama is happening in the camp. All this drama, all this division, people wanting to go back to bondage. All this stuff is happening. Moses and Aaron, the old guys, they're on their faces before the Lord. But while that's happening, 
This is what the Lord is speaking to Moses while he's on his face. Remember, the two old guys on their faces before the Lord. And this is what the Lord speaks. In verse 11, this is before, you know, the, 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 the spies fell, they're dead. And let's look at this prayer life of intimacy that Moses and the Lord has. In verse 11, then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? Whoa. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see what's happening? In verse 5, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces. You see, look at what, first of all, the people say this. It would be better in verse in verse 3, would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? They're saying that bondage is better than where the Lord has them. And then they say, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Imagine the heart of Moses after all the Lord has done. Breaking, breaking. I'm almost speechless. Like, how could these things be happening? The heart of Aaron. After their sister, you know, she she had a, a leprosy, what we studied last week or the week prior. All these things are happening. They want to go back to bondage. Moses and Aaron fall on their faces. And when Moses and Aaron fall to their faces, this is what happens in the prayer life. You know, have you ever have you ever been surrounded by all this chaos? Have you ever been surrounded by all this drama? Maybe you're a pastor. And there's a lot of drama in your fellowship. Do like Moses. Fall on your face before the Lord. It's, that's what's so beautiful about, I love, when I pray, I love closing my eyes. And you know what I hate? I hate the most, when I pray, I hate the most saying amen. I hate it with a passion. I cannot stand saying amen. I cannot stand saying amen. You know why? Because I have to open my eyes. That's why. I know that when I say amen, as soon as that's done, I have to open my eyes. Sometimes I have to use my fingers to open my eyes. Because sometimes when I pray, like, you know, it's like I, I get kind of teary-eyed sometimes, you know, and so like my eyes are closed, but then they get like the tears dry and then they get like welded shut. So I have to like, you know, use muscles to open my eyes or use my fingers to open my eyes. But that's what I hate the most about praying is to say amen, because I know as soon as I say amen, I have to open my eyes and I realize, man, you know, I'm still here. I'm still here. Whatever the Lord has for me, Lord, in your timing, I'm still here. But man, I can't wait till I'm praying and I don't have to say amen. I long for that day. So Moses, he falls on his face before the Lord while all this drama is happening. And I say pastors, if there's all this drama happening in your fellowship, fall on your face before the Lord. But what about, say you're not a pastor, but yet you have all this drama all this stuff, all these situations, all this, people saying this, people saying that, people saying, you know what you do? Close your eyes. Get in your own private prayer time. Go in your prayer closet, your prayer room, whatever it is, and fall on your face before the Lord and just quiet out everything. Everything. Yeah, the people are saying this, so what? 
Yeah, the people want to go back to bondage. Yeah, the people want to go back to Egypt. So what? Yeah, it's sad, but you're having your own intimacy with the Lord. Oh, but I got this situation. That's nice. Oh, but there's this, there's this, there's that. That's nice. You go before the Lord. You. Intimacy. Not you with, you know, you alone. You go before the Lord. And if the Lord has an errand for you, you go before the Lord with whoever the Lord has with you. But the godly, not just, you know, look at what the multitude is doing. The multitude is going into crazy town. I shouldn't say all the multitude. Look at Caleb and Joshua, but they want to kill them. Oh, but, you know, can you imagine somebody, honest, Moses, how dare you fall on your face? They want to kill. They want to stone Caleb. They want to stone Joshua. How dare you fall on your face? Aaron, do something. How dare you go on your face? You're not doing anything. The people, the people want to see action. That's what the multitude wants to see. And oh, you're not doing anything. You're such a defunct pastor. Look, this other pastor, he does this. What do you do? You don't do that. That's nice. You're on your face before the Lord. You know, if you're a pastor, you're on your face before the Lord. If you're not a pastor, you got all these situations, all this drama in your life, you're on your face before the Lord. And if you're not on your face before the Lord, get on your face before the Lord. Intimacy with Him. All this drama. Oh, this person saying that. Who cares? But they might kill this person. Who cares? Just like, just like what's happening here. Moses, get up on your feet. Moses, you're not doing anything. He's doing plenty. He's praying. He's doing a lot. He's having intimacy with the Lord. The, the carnal don't see that. The carnal don't understand what's happening. You see? And in this moment of intimacy, when so-called do-nothing Moses, you know, it pains me to say that, but I mean, I'm speaking in the, you know, taking on the personification of the carnal. This do-nothing Moses, how dare he fall on his face? Moses, you take us back. If you're not going to take us back to Egypt, then we're going to choose somebody to take us back to Egypt. See? And when, the, when Moses falls on his face, the Lord speaks to him. Moses, he says, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? How long will these people despise me? How long will these people abhor me? Is what he says. Whoa, that's heavy. After all the Lord has done with manna, with the meat, with the cloud, the provisions that the Lord has given them, with protection that the Lord has given them. And for the Lord to see their hearts a people who are saying it's better for us to return to Egypt. A people who are saying it's better for us to go back to Egypt. Let us select a leader who will do fulfill what we want, our desires. Or who will tickle our ears. Tell us something pleasant. Just like Pastor Paul imparted to Pastor Timothy, the next generation. What we looked at in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And the Lord is saying to Moses, how long will these people reject me? How long will they despise me? How long will they hate me? And how long will they not believe me? Whoa. Now their very faith is called into question. And not just called into question. The Lord is saying, how long will they not believe me? 
Whoa. With all the signs which I have performed among them. Remember, the people were afraid. The people were afraid of men, of men, of, of, of the giants. They were afraid of the giants. Don't forget the cloud has been with them. The cloud has been leading them. That's what fear can do inside of you, inside of me, inside of us, of people of the way. That's what fear can do. And Satan will present all kinds of giants, all kinds of situations. Satan wants you to be afraid. Why? Because he wants you to say, let me go back to Egypt where it's safe. Let me go back into bondage where it's safe. Let me go back. But look, my, our wives and our children, they might become victims. Let us go back to Egypt. You see? Satan likes you to be afraid. You fear the Lord. And the Lord only. Verse 12. This is what the Lord is speaking to Remember. The two old guys are on their faces before the Lord, and the Lord is speaking to Moses. This, so nobody can hear this. Nobody understands what's happening. There were people in the audience. I mean, I can't. I say in my in my example, people wondering why is Moses on his face? Why is why is our so called leader on his face when all these all this drama is happening? All these disputes are happening. It's, now they want to stone Joshua and Caleb. What is happening here? They, they, they do nothing, Moses. No. Plenty is happening. He's on his face before the Lord. And the Lord is speaking. And the Lord is saying in verse 12. I will strike them with the pestilence. And disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Whoa. You see what's happening here? Unbeknownst to the multitudes. Unbeknownst to the people. Look what's happening in this. This intimacy that Moses is having with the Lord. And not just this intimacy, but the Lord has gave him quite the offer. The Lord has introduced unto him quite the offer. Saying, Moses, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to strike them with, pest with pestilence. I'm going to disinherit them. And I'm going to start fresh with you, Moses. And now Moses intercedes. Moses intercedes. While all this drama is happening. I don't know if he can hear. I mean, you know, carnally speaking, you know, he's an earshot of what's happening. But I don't know if Moses is so deep in prayer life that he's just totally unaware of what's happening around him. But I wonder if he could hear somebody in his ears, hear somebody say, oh, let's stone Joshua. Let's stone Caleb. And I'm almost... I mean, look at the relationship of Moses and Joshua. See, leader to assistant, leader to future leader. In that relationship, to hear somebody say, let's stone him. I wonder if he was cringing at hearing that. Maybe he didn't hear. Maybe, he, maybe he's so enveloped in this intimacy that he just can't hear what's happening. But he heard the people say, let's select a leader. 
Let us select a leader to return to Egypt because in verse 5, then the old guys fall on their face before the Lord, Moses and Aaron. What a hardcore lesson for us today. When the drama hits. When fear hits. When the masses go off into crazy town. Who are the ones who will fall on the faces before the Lord? And the Lord gives this great offer. I'm going to start fresh with you, Moses. And you see Moses intercede. And Moses said to the Lord, you know, remember, this is deep, deep, deep intimacy. I mean, for the Lord to reveal his own heart to Moses, this is deep intimacy. And for the Lord to give Moses this offer, Moses, I'm going to start fresh with you. And remember, Moses knows the people want to go back to Egypt. Moses knows that the people are saying it's better for us to return to Egypt. He knows he's fully aware of it. And instead of Moses saying, you know what, Lord? All right. Your will be done. Let's start fresh. Kill them all. And you know what? I'll be the leader. I'll you know, start make a new nation with me. Instead of that happening, Moses intercedes for the people, a wayward people. And Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear it. For by your might, you brought these people up from among them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people. That you, Lord, are seen face to face. And your cloud stands above them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, notice the unity of the assembly, multitudes of people, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. And they, if you kill these people as one man, notice this unity of the assembly, this unity of the masses. And in the last days, that's what the church is going to be like. Everybody's crying out for unity. Oh, unity this, unity that, this ecumenical movement, this interfaith movement. Remember, the mother of harlots has babies. Can't we all just get along? Yeah, let's just get along. It, unity is beautiful. But there are check marks that we have to hit. One of them, sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. That's like the utmost importance. Because, I mean, look at a chess club. They have unity. Do they have sound doctrine? They have no doctrine. I mean, their doctrine is checkers or chess. You see, they have no, so you can have an assembly, you can have unity of whatever group, but I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about those who are set apart. Where is sound doctrine, especially knowing that in the last days, a time is coming when the multitude will not endure sound doctrine. They have unity. They have unity. Second Timothy chapter four. Verse 4, they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So that group of people, they have unity. No doctrine, but they have unity. They have something that resembles doctrine because, they've, because of their itching ears. They've uh, accumulated, they, they seek as accumulative all these teachers. 
They might have pastor number one, pastor number two, pastor number three, pastor number four. Book number one, book number 10, book number 20, book number 100. All these books, the biggest library. You see? They have unity. Except their unity is away from the truth. Their unity is in fables because they've been turned aside into fables. It's a form of judgment. Because there's no love of the truth as is written in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 15, Numbers 14, verse 15. If you kill these people as one man, then the nations which you which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able. Whoa, you see what's happening here? Because the Lord was not able to bring this people to, to the land which he swore to give them. Therefore, he killed them in the wilderness. Moses is interceding for the people, a type of Christ. That's why I say Moses, a type of Christ. Joshua, a type of Christ. Joseph, a type of Christ. Not the Christ. You know, they, they have air. We're going to see certain things about Moses that aren't so good. And, and, I mean, I love, I love him. But, you know, a type of Christ, but not the Christ. But yet here you see the, the not just the intimacy, but the intercession. And now he says in verse 17, And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering. Very interesting characteristics of our Lord. Hallowed be his name. Long-suffering. Old Testament and New Testament. He never changes, remember. Long-suffering in the Old Testament, long-suffering in the New Testament. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty. Wait a second. So you read this like, well, so what is it? Does he forgive or does he not forgive? I mean, he says he forgives iniquity, but then he also says in the same sentence, he by no means clears the guilty. So what is it? He forgives, but does not clear the guilty. But let me say something. In order for forgiveness to be given, forgiveness must be sought. You see, forgiveness is freely given, but forgiveness has to be sought. Have you ever seen people say they're sorry? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But they're really only sorry because they were caught. Or if you didn't catch them, the behavior would still be, you know, it would still be rampant, running wild like a wildfire. You know, you're only sorry because you got caught. But what about when somebody in their heart of hearts feels that remorse? What have I done? What have I done? And they fall on their knees before the Lord, before the throne of grace, before the cross. Lord, forgive me. You see? The Lord forgives iniquity. But the question is, who seeks forgiveness? The Lord knows the heart of men, of women, young, old. He knows the heart. 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on in continuation of verse 18 he by no means clears the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation so this is where we get the concept of a generational curse but i may say something about the generational curse i think people use the generational curse as a cop-out me personally and no offense if that's you you know no offense i don't mean to offend you but i'll explain I say I explain, but I'm trying to think, how do I explain this? <laughs> I think the generational curse is a cop-out. as, And I think it's an excuse. This is my own personal convictions on the matter. I think it's a cop-out. Because at what point will one generation humble themselves? And change its ways and seek the Lord for the benefit, not of themselves, but of the next generation. I mean, I'll bring politics into the matter. Everybody likes, you know, oh, I want the government to provide this. I want the government to provide my housing, my food, my health care, my whatever, my retirement. I want the government to provide this without realizing the impact to the next generation, fiscally speaking, without realizing that impact. Even political leaders, they're saying, we're going to increase taxes to everybody who makes over $400,000 a year. Today, that's a lot of, you know, that's a, a, a nice chunk of change. You make $400,000 a year, that's a nice chunk of change. And politicians to say, we're going to tax everybody who makes over 400000 or we're going to increase taxes for everybody who makes over $400,000 a year. Today's generation says, okay, cool, yes, I'm going to vote for that. I like that, I like that, I like that. Without realizing the impact that's going to have on your kids and your grandkids, financially speaking, in their own lives. What impact is that going to have on your kids and your grandkids? Understanding that median income in 1970, 1980, median income was like $1975, $12,000 a year. I mean, $12,000 a year today is poverty level. I mean, a large percentage of poverty level. And so we see these numbers. I mean, look at the, uh, the price of milk in 1950. Compared with the price of milk today, the price of gas in 1950 compared with the price of gas today. I mean, there's only, I mean, we can call it inflation, consumer price index. We can, you know, we can point to those and from a, a logical perspective, have these indicators which give the reason why. That's one thing. But look at today's generation, which doesn't think about tomorrow's generation. And I'm speaking about the world at large. I'm speaking culturally. I speak from Amer America. I'm speaking about America, and I'm sure it happens in other Western cultures and even, you know, Eastern cultures. But we're always thinking about the me generation. How is this going to impact me for the better? Who thinks about the impact of the next generation? The sacrifice of today, not for you. The sacrifice of today for your kids, for your grandbabies, the hardships of today, the hardships of now, 
for the benefit of the next generation, for the benefit of your kids, your grandkids. Who thinks that way? A selfless people. But the carnal, the ones focused on self, the non-meek, they don't think that way. I gave political a, a, a political example just to paint a picture. But this is why I say the generational curse, it's kind of like a cop-out. I mean, we, we see how carnality begets carnality. But if we're going to lean heavily on a generational curse, like what is written here, when it says visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation, it, 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 it's biblical. We, we see it here. I mean, we label it as a generational curse. But generationally speaking, among the multitude, we also see Joshua and Caleb. They made their choice. They're standing for the Lord. They're making their choice. In the multitude of Israel, we see Josiah, Samuel, Esther. You see, people make their choice. And that's why I say the generational curse, I see it more as a cop-out. As an excuse of today's generation or whatever generation in scripture. I see it as a cop-out. As opposed to focusing on who is the one who will make a stand for the Lord. Who is the one who has ears so rendered unto the Lord? Male, female, young, old, I don't care. It doesn't matter. We see young, old in the, in, throughout the Bible. Prostitutes even. Rahab. I mean, we talk about generational curses, but Rahab is like, you know, her immediate belief. Her immediate faithfulness unto the Lord. A prostitute. So when I say like, you know, the generational curse, I see it as a cop-out. I, I, you know, I don't I just want to just gloss over it like, okay, it's a cop-out. I want to explain myself. But for this generation, what is your righteousness and the impact on the next generation? Or is there no righteousness? And I don't mean righteousness as, you know, to, you know, to, 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 to boast, you know, our boast is in Jesus Christ. But you see like defunct dads, they like to cuss up a storm and do this and they have no regard for the impact of their behaviors on the next generation. No regard whatsoever. That's not good. You see it in moms. You see it in grandparents. And then what's happening with the kids, the grandkids, what's happening with them? They see it all. But what is it that you're doing for the benefit, not of you, not of your generation, but of the next generation so that they can make their stands? Just like we see Moses and Joshua or, or Moses and, 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 and Aaron, they're on their faces before the Lord. But look at their past behavior. And you say, OK, in Aaron's past behavior, you know, he was he fashioned a golden calf. You're right. You, it's, it's, it's biblical. He, he did. It's in his past. Let that further exalt the name of our Lord and the ability that he has to fix any situation, any heart.
that is so rendered unto him. Male, female, young, old, it doesn't matter. And so Moses, in this intercession, remember, quote-unquote, do nothing, Moses. Moses, get up. How dare you on your face? Why are you on your face? They're going to stone Joshua. They're going to stone Caleb. Moses, what are you doing? Get up. A people who wants to go back to Egypt. A people who wants to go back into bondage. We had it better in Egypt. And what is Moses doing? He's interceding for them. God wants to kill the people. And Moses, so-called do-nothing Moses, he's interceding for them. You see? In verse 19, remember the Lord made him this great offer. In verse 12, he's, I will make you great. And in verse 19, pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray. Whoa, you know how hardcore that is? Moses is on his face before the Lord. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray. According to the greatness of your mercy, just as you forgotten, just as just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt, uh, even until now. Remember in chapter twelve, verse three. Chapter twelve, verse three says this. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the all men who were on the face of the earth, and that who has that is the one who has intimacy with the Lord, and that's the beauty of humility. It's a tool. It's an aid that the Lord uses. It's like, you know, the more humble you are, the more you can hear of the Lord. I mean, it, I'm old school. You know, when, radio, an old school radio station, you'd have to turn the dial to find the right station. You know, you, nowadays it's yeah, an app on the phone. Nowadays it's just like, you know, everything's digitized. You know, and it, but back in the day, you have to turn the little knob to find the right station. You go too much to the left, you can't hear anything. It's just scratchy. You know, you hear the... It's just scratchy. You got to turn a little bit to the right. You can hear it better. Too much to the right, you can't hear it. You got to be finely tuned. It's like, okay, I can hear it now. I can hear what is being said. I can hear what is the music being played. Because you're finely tuned to the station. And that's the beauty of humility. The more humble you are, the more finely tuned you are to hear of the Lord. And the Lord gave him this offer. Moses, I'm going to kill these people and start fresh with you. And because he's humble, no, Lord. No, Lord, forgive these people. Wow. It just blows me away so much. We see Moses as a type of Christ and his intercession. Remember Jesus Christ on the cross? Father, Forgive them for they know not what they do. Whoa. Even in uh, um, Stephen, the first martyr. Father, forgive them. Even Paul. When he says, I wish I would be anathema from Christ. If my brethren can come to Christ. To trade his life for them. You see, selflessness. A present sacrifice for the benefit of another. That's godliness. That's righteousness. And you know, this really says a lot about the heart of Moses for the Lord. 
for the Lord's promises to come. Not that the Lord was putting his promise in jeopardy by making this offer to Moses. You know, Moses, I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to start fresh with you. You know, what, what does that say to the 12 tribes? You see? And it's not to say that the, that the Lord was putting his promises in jeopardy in the hands of Moses. But for the Lord to have such intimacy with Moses, to know that Moses, in his humility, would intercede for the people. And Moses is saying, pardon the people. The iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you've forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. In verse 20, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. Whoa. Do you see? I have pardoned according to your word. This is Moses as a type of Christ. He has interceded for the people. And you think, okay, we're done. Okay, we're done. The people are pardoned, but no. But truly, as I live in verse 21, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these 10 times and have not heeded my voice. You see here, no obedience. I mean, this hearkens, if you recall, I mean, if you've been with us for a while, you remember our study in Hebrews 6. But if you don't know Hebrews 6, read Hebrews 6. Because the writer teaches, I think it's Paul, could be Apollos. A lot of people think it's Apollos. A lot of people think it's Paul. Me personally, I think it's Paul. There's a lot of parallels to his other letters, to the churches, to pastors, his pastoral epistles. But I think it's Paul. I make a strong case that it's Paul. Some think it's Apollos. But that's beside the point. They plant, they water. It's God who gives increase. But the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit in Hebrews chapter 6, speaks about the re-crucification of Jesus Christ. How it is impossible for such a person to, you know, come to Christ. That's the danger of playing games with the Lord. The danger of taking advantage of God's grace and His mercy. Because, look at verse 22. Because of these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and, the, and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times. And have not heeded my voice. No obedience whatsoever. No obedience. No heeding his voice. Imagine the people. Oh, we're of the elect. We're of the elect. God is with us. You know, we're, we're, we're good to go. We came out of Egypt. Once saved, always saved. I'm good to go. I want to go back to Egypt. But that's beside the point. And the Lord is saying, there's no obedience. In verse 23, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. Whoa, that's the multitude. Remember, Moses is on his face before the Lord. All this drama is happening. All this drama has been unfolding this whole time. In verse 3, in verse 3, look at verse 3. I know we read it already, but I'm going to read it again. In verse 3, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. And that's when Moses and Aaron fell on their face before the Lord. 
It's also when Joshua and Caleb start to speak, the next generation, they start to speak. And when they start to speak, the multitudes, not just the ten spies, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, let's kill Caleb, let's kill Joshua, let's stone them. And the whole time Moses, you know, after he fell on his face before the Lord, Moses is on his face before the Lord and Aaron. And Moses is interceding for the people. Lord, forgive these people. Pardon their iniquity, Lord. Even when they want to go back to Egypt, pardon them, Lord. And the Lord is answering his prayer. The Lord is speaking. And Moses has ears to hear. The Lord is speaking. In verse 23... This is what the Lord says. They certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him. You see? A different spirit in him. How beautiful is this? You know, in our study in the book of Acts, you remember how I would say there's something different about Paul. There's something different. He's not like the average bear. But the set, the same could be said, not just of Paul. There's something different about Rahab. You see? There's something different about Lydia. There's something different about Joshua. There's something different about Caleb, as is written here in verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him. So not the spirit of the multitudes. You see? The multitudes goes off into crazy town. But the same could be said of you, my friend. You, my beloved. When all the multitude goes off into crazy town, what is the spirit inside of you? A spirit of fear? No. Hebrews 8.15 You did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Capital S, the spirit. That's God's Holy Spirit. And there's something different about you. When the world goes off into crazy town, not just the world, but even inside the church, when they don't endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, will heap up for themselves teachers and will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to to fables. You, my friend, you, my brother, you, my sister, you, my beloved, have a different spirit inside of you. And it is holy. Because you are set apart. Consecrated unto the Lord. In verse 24, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, not followed me part-time, not followed me on Sundays, not followed me on Wednesdays, not followed me on the Sabbath, not followed me short-term, has followed me fully. He's not cold. 
He's not lukewarm. Caleb is white hot. White hot. And because of that, the Lord says, I will bring him into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. You see, God sees. Remember, the multitude is saying, let's kill him. Let's stone him. God has already given his verdict. No, he's going to enter the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. Caleb will be there. You see? Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. This is the Lord speaking. Tomorrow, turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Do you know how sad this is? Verse 25. I mean, all these things that are happening in the camp. It's sad. But verse 25 is incredibly sad. Because do you remember in chapter 13, verse 2, the Lord says, Hey, Canaan, I'm giving you the, the, the children of Israel. Go, send men to spy out. Go, I'm sending you. It's, it's yours. And not just here in verse 13, in chapter 13, but in Exodus 3, the promise of the Lord. Exodus 13, the promise of the Lord. And the same area in this land, in verse 25, Chapter 14 of Numbers, the Lord is saying, Tomorrow, turn and move out into the wilderness, not into Canaan, into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And this is the beginning of their 40-year journey. How terrible is this? How sad is this? This 11-day journey into the land flowing with milk and honey turns into 40 years. Why? Because of fear. And fear begets disobedience. And disobedience begets what verse 11 says. How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? You see why Satan wants you to fear? It's a trap. He loves it when you're afraid. But he hates it when you fear the Lord. It's beautiful to be fearful when fear is properly placed and given to the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know how there's a lot of stupid people? Where's the fear of the Lord? Look at the multitudes here. A faithless people. Look at the multitudes. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Look at the remnant. You got the old guys, Moses and Aaron, on their faces before the Lord. And then you have the young guys, Caleb and Joshua, the next generation. And they're making their stand. They're making their proclamation. The multitudes want to kill them. The multitudes want them dead. And it's just the opposite with the Lord. No. These people, they're the ones who are going to die. The multitudes... They're the ones that are going to die. And verse 25 is heartbreaking. Because instead of saying, go into the land of milk and honey, which I swore to your fathers, instead of that promise, he's saying, turn around. And it begins their 40-year journey. Instead of 11 days, it turns into 40 years. You see? Go back. That's what fear does. 
It's not to say that the promises aren't going to come to pass. It's to say that the promises are on hold because why? God is going to chastise the people. He disciplines those whom he loves, as is revealed in Hebrews 12. But what a hard lesson. You say, oh, that was for that dispensation. That was for that. Don't forget, Brother Paul, in accordance to the dispensation of the church, if you want to play that game. As New Covenant Believer says, all these things of old are written for our admonition, for our warning, so we can learn. You see? Don't go to this area in this area of the Canaanites. Don't go there. Instead, turn around and go back into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Wow. Remember, the people were murmuring and complaining. That's what murmuring and complaining does. Murmur, complain, murmur, complain, murmur, complain, murmur, complain. Oh, but Lord, you know, you brought me over here, but I don't like this. Oh, Lord, you did this for me, but I don't like it anymore. I mean, you pray. Pray, and the Lord answers in prayer. The Lord makes something come to pass and fulfills everything that you ask for. And it's like, wow, Lord, thank you. And then like a week later, a year later, a month later, five years later, I don't like it anymore, Lord. Uh, you know, I asked for this, but I didn't know what I was saying. You know, I didn't know what I was thinking. So, uh, Lord, I changed my mind. Uh, you start to murmur and complain. Oh, Lord, I don't like this. It's not as nice as it used to be. You start to murmur and complain, murmur and complain, murmur. And... I say you, but I'm talking about we. We're in the same boat. Murmur and complain, murmur and complain. Satan likes that. He loves that. Why? Because it's stepping stones. Oh, sidestep more, sidestep more, sidestep left, sidestep left, sidestep left, sidestep left, sidestep left. And by transgression, fall. It's a scheme, it's a trick. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Satan loves it when you're afraid of giants, of whatever situation. He loves it when you're afraid. Because you're one step closer to where he wants you to be. Preparation for a fall. You see? But I don't speak to the dead. I'm called to speak to the living. Be wise. Fear the Lord. Learn wisdom. Learn the dangers of murmuring and complaining. And you know what? Don't murmur and complain anymore. Learn. Grow. Mature. Go from milk to Cheerios, from Cheerios to bread, from bread to little pieces of chicken, from little pieces of chicken, eating spiritual pork chops one day. That's maturity. Growing in Christ. Remember Paul writes the pastoral epistles, don't choose a novice, don't use a novice. Not a new believer. Because the new believers don't understand these things. And then all of a sudden... In verse 26, and the Lord spoke and, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. So remember, Moses and Aaron, they're on their face before the Lord. All this drama is happening around them. All this drama. The multitudes are shouting. The Lord speaks to Moses. And now Moses, or the Lord speaks to Moses and Aaron together. The two old guys who are on their faces before the Lord. In verse 26, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, 
How long shall I bear with this evil congregation or this evil family, he says. How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. And verse 28, say to them, and notice the quote here, say to them, this is the Lord speaking to Moses and Aaron, say to them, and then pause there for a moment. Where you see the close quote is at the end of verse 35. And everything we're going to read from verse 28 to verse 35, that's everything the Lord commands Aaron and Moses to say to the people. And it is heavy. It is heavy. It breaks my heart. Remember, right now it's unbeknownst to the people. The people are murmuring and complaining. They want somebody, they want choosing a leader. Okay, you know, we're, we're going to stone uh, Caleb and Joshua. You guys, you work that out. You take these stones. Here's some nice stones. You choose out some stones. And meanwhile, we're going to choose out some guys. You know, we're going to talk to some people. We're going to, you know, work out some things. And we're going to choose somebody that can lead us back into Egypt. These two old guys that are on their face, who cares? They do that all the time. No big deal. That's a huge deal. Because the Lord is speaking and the multitudes, they don't have ears to hear. Only the remnant. They have ears to hear, and the Lord is speaking, and the command of the Lord is, He's giving them exactly what to say. He says in verse 28, Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses, the carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. Whoa! All these verses in my heart of hearts, I want to say, stop, Lord, stop, Lord, stop, Lord. This is enough. This is enough. And the Lord is speaking. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. Remember, a people who have murmured and complained, incapacitated by fear, promised in Exodus 3 and Exodus 13, long ago when they were in Egypt, they were promised a land flowing with milk and honey. They knew, they knew that the, the land where they were going, they knew that it was the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Except because of these giants, they were afraid. And their fear was endemic. It was birthed in the scouts, the spies, and the fear of ten spread to multitudes and more murmuring and complaining. You'd think they would have learned their lesson of murmuring and complaining after they complained about the meat. After uh, uh, Miriam complained, now she's uh, finishing her period of time where she's uh, uh, unclean because of her leprosy. You'd think that lesson would be learned. And, you know, not to like, you know, Say like Israel, how dare you? Because how many times could the same be said of ourselves? You think we would have learned? By now you think we would have learned? In verse 29, the, the, the carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above. Except for Caleb the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Remember, the ones that people wanted to stone in verse 10. 
You shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. Whoa, do you see how, how heavy this is? And so you see, when, when Moses intercedes in his prayer in verse 19, pardon the iniquity of this people. In verse 20, the Lord says, I have pardoned according to your word. Yes, I have pardoned. But now comes a period of time. Remember, the Lord said in verse 12, I will strike them with pestilence. He says, Moses, I'm going to kill them. I'll start fresh with you. And Moses intercedes, says, Lord, pardon them. And the Lord says, okay, I'm going to pardon them. Look at that intimacy. Okay, I'm going to pardon them. But now they have to reap what they have sown. I mean, how many times do you see a person, they say, oh, I'm sorry. But you know they're sorry only because they got caught. And then they say, oh, I'm sorry. And they want to go back to normal like, oh, like nothing ever happened. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, let, let's go out and, you know, let's uh, 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 smell the roses together. Like, wait a second. Do you know that you, the, the process of reaping what you have sown, that's part of the gig. That's, Satan won't present that to you. Satan will never present that to you. He will never present reaping what you have sown. Never. I mean, look at the beer commercials on TV. You know, you see the beer commercials on TV. Everybody's laughing by the pool. They get their, you know, they're having a good time. They get their friends with them. They're having, everything's fine and dandy. They got a beer in their hands. But they never see commercials. You never see like a, a Budweiser commercial with the guy in his face in the toilet. Waking up, he has no idea, like, you know, who is this? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? He has no idea where he is waking up or like at age 50, dying of liver disease. Satan will never show commercials like that. The beer commercials, you'll never see a beer commercial like that. But you want to live a life of alcoholism? That's what you're going to get. And Satan, when he presents whatever to you, oh, this is the best crack, this is the best sex, this is the best alcohol, this is the best whatever, he'll never present to you what you have to reap in the aftermath of that. Never. But you have to be wise. You see? Oh, but I'm young. I'm a young Christian. I was just born again, you know, last week. I was just born again yesterday. I'm, I'm born again today. Praise be to the Lord. Now let's grow. Let's mature. Learn to fight. Here, let's roll around on the mat a little bit. I'm going to teach you how to fight. You see? You learn to fight. You learn this. Okay, hand-to-hand -hand combat. Good to go. Here's a shield. Let's use it. Here's a sword. Let's use it. Oh, it's kind of heavy. It's heavy now, but it's not going to be forever. And you learn, you grow, you matriculate, you get stronger. Here's your helmet. Boom. Put it on. See? Here's your breastplate. Here. Put it on. And all the weapons of our warfare, which are not carnal. Okay. You're trained up. Now, let's go handle business. Let's go fight. Think, oh, there's the weapons of war. Cool. Oh, don't forget your fishing pole. You see? Fishers of men. Fishers of women. But not stupid. You see? And warriors too. Look at Paul. Peter. They're fishers of men. 
in the book of Acts. They're fishers of men. People are coming to Christ. But they're not stupid. They're not fools. Barnabas, Philip. You see? Philip and his prophetess daughters. Beautiful, beautiful prophetess daughters. Wow, praise be to the Lord. One generation pouring into the next generation. How beautiful. So now, Israel, they have to reap what they have sown. They weren't thinking about that. They were blinded. Oh, you know, we're, we're, we want to go back to Egypt. Not understanding that the Lord heard everything. And now they have to reap what they have sown. In verse 30, he says, Except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims. Remember, in verse uh, 3, they said, uh, in verse 3, they says, uh, Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? So they wanted to paint it in the picture of, oh, you know, it's, it's for the sake of the kids. It's for our wives. We want them to be safe. We want them to be sound. We want them, you know, we want safety. Who doesn't want safety? But there is no safer place than in the will of the Lord. No safer place than in our strong tower, which is Jesus Christ. That is the safest place. And you know what? That can be anywhere on the face of the earth. In Christ. And Christ in you. You teach them. You pour into them. You want your kids to be safe? Teach them Jesus Christ. Teach them the word. There is no greater safety than Jesus Christ. You say, oh, but I, I live in the projects. You know, I live in Chicago. There's murder everywhere. Okay. That's where the Lord has you. Teach your kids Jesus Christ. And you abide in him and he in you. There is no safer place than in Jesus Christ. You see? Now the people have to reap what they have sown. And the very people who they wanted to protect, the very people, look at what happens to them. But the little ones whom you said would be victims, I will bring in. And they shall know the land which you have despised, that you have abhorred and rejected is how it translates. And you think, okay, cool, you know, the, the kids are okay. But wait a second. The Lord is still guiding them. Except he's guiding them for 40 years instead of 11 days. Why? Because he's chastising them, number one. He has to teach them. And the people, Israel, they have to reap what they have sown. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. He's saying, you're going to die. All of you people, you're going to be dead. You're going to die. But your little ones, they're going to go into the promised land. As for you, this generation, you're dead. You're going to be carcasses. In verse 33, and your sons shall be shepherds. Translates as wanderers. Your sons shall be wanderers in the wilderness 40 years and bear the brunt of your infidelity. You know how that translates? Your kids are going to bear the brunt of your whoredom. That's how it translates. You see? All because of fear. 
Fear begets fill in the blank. It's not pretty. Fear begets this, which begets that, which begets this, which begets that, and it's not pretty. And the kids are going to bear the brunt of your whoredom. That's what the God is telling the people. Remember verse 11. How long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me? When the Lord is saying, look, these are the promises. They knew Exodus 3, Exodus 13. They knew the land of the Canaanites. They knew. They knew who was going to be there. The Amorites, the Jebusites. They knew. Except because of these giants, they were afraid. And the kids now in verse 30, verse 33, your sons, your sons shall be shepherds or wanderers in the wilderness 40 years. Remember, an 11 day journey, 11 days turns into 40 years. And bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days for each day, you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection. Whoa. So all the time that they were the scouts, the, 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 the scouts in chapter 13, they were out 40 days to scatter to, to, you know, to recon their recon mission. They come back and they give a report of, you know, they're scared. And now for each one of those days, one year. And the Lord says, you shall know my rejection. Wow. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation or this evil family who are gathered together against me. Notice the unity. Yes, there's unity. They have unity. But what's their unity? Their unity in rejection of the Lord. Their unity in not believing the Lord. Just like 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. They will turn their ears away from truth and be turned aside to fables. Yeah, there's unity in that group of people. But where's the Lord? Where is the Lord? Everybody's crying out for unity these days. Unity, unity, unity for the sake of unity. That's fine. But unity outside of Christ. That's the way of death. You see? I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness, they shall be consumed and there they shall die. Wow, I can't believe this. I mean, I can't believe it because it's written, but I can't believe this. Like, whoa. They're going to die. All these things that were verse 28 to verse 35, the people don't yet know. Only the ones who have ears to hear know. Moses and Aaron. The Lord told this small, this a remnant compared to the multitudes. It's only a remnant that knows. Only a remnant that can hear the voice of the Lord. Only the remnant that can understand the direction of the Lord. And the Lord gave the command in verse 28. Say this to them. I'm going to tell you what to say and this is what you're going to say. Say this to them. They have to, re I'm gonna, you know, they're not going to die when the Lord says, I'm going to kill them with pestilence and I'm going to disinherit them. 
The Lord says, I will relent from doing that. Why? Because of the intercession of Moses. When in verse uh, 20, I have par uh, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. You see, the intercession of Moses. But then at the same time, they have to reap what they have sown. Reaping what you have sown is part and parcel of not just sin, but even forgiveness. Because you can be forgiven by the Lord, but you still have to reap what you have sown. That's part of the parcel. Part, part and parcel of you buy into the lies of Satan, that's, that's, that's part of it. He won't tell you that, but it's part. You have to understand that. It will help you in your walk. Now the men, whom, in verse 36, Now the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain against them by bringing a bad report of the land. Those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. So do you remember how we were in verse 11? And I said, you know, or, or in verse 10, we ended verse 10. I said, okay, let's go to verse 36. Because I wanted to exclude what the Lord said to, in this very special moment of intimacy. I wanted to exclude what the Lord has said and get a picture of what the multitude is seeing. So now, un, unbeknownst to the multitude, these scouts, the spies, they fall dead. They died by the plague before the Lord. Oh, you know, the, the only thing the multitude knows right now or sees right now, you know, they see the, the old guys. They see the two old guys on their face. They, they see that they want to kill, uh, uh, they want to stone Joshua and Caleb. They see the glory of the Lord, which appears in the tabernacle. Meanwhile, in their heart, they want to go back to Egypt. That's what they see. That's what their carnal eyes Spiritual eyes reveal something different. Judgment. Judgment on the people. Judgment on the multitude. And a very heavy price. Where they're going to die in the wilderness. Instead of 11 days, it's going to be 40 years. They're going to die in the wilderness. And they have to reap what they have sown. So they don't see what's happening in this moment of intimacy with Moses and Joshua. All they see now is these spies. They fall. They're dead. Ten spies. They de they're dead now. They die. And in verse 38, But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive of the men who were sent to spy out the land. The very ones they wanted to kill. In verse 39, then Moses told these words to all the children of Israel. Whoa! That, those were the words that the Lord said in verse 28. Say to them, and verse 28 to verse 35, it's heavy, 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 heavy. A heavy, heavy price to pay for their infidelity, for their whoredom. A heavy price to pay judgment. Because of their fear. You see? Which was endemic from the ten scouts, the ten spies. You see how fear spreads?
And now, Moses, in obedience to the Lord, he's not on his face anymore. He gets up. I mean, have you ever seen old people get up? I mean, I feel kind of old. I, you know, people tell me you're not that old, but I feel like I'm 90. But, you know, to get up, it, it's, it's an ordeal. You feel it in your legs. You feel it in your back. You feel it in your shoulders. You feel it all over the place. But for an old guy, even you know, like old, old, old guy, have you ever seen like an old person get up out of a seat? You know, that's an ordeal. But you see an old guy get up from his face, be, I mean, like laying down prostrate before the Lord. For that guy to get up, whew. Moses gets up and he tells these words to all the children of Israel. They don't know anything that the Lord has said. And then Moses speaks. Wow. And the people mourned greatly. Verse 40. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain saying, notice here. So you look at verse 40, the very beginning of verse 40 is like, what in the world is happening? They rose early in the morning. What's going on here? And they went to the top of the mountain. What's happening here? Saying, here we are. The, the people, there was great mourning, but the people think they're fine before the Lord. They think everything's fine and dandy. They don't want to reap what they have sown. Have you, have you ever... Like, people in repentance. Repentance is a beautiful thing. Don't get me wrong. It's beautiful. But have you ever been hurt as a result of somebody's decision, as a result of somebody's sin? And then you say, okay, I'm sorry. Like, 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 what? Like, that's it? I mean, not that they have to like, I'm sorry, and then like paint your house or, you know, I'm sorry. And then like, you know, buy a new car or I'm sorry. Not that they have to do that. But such egregious sin. Oh, I'm sorry. No big deal. Oh, yeah, I repented. No big deal. And you know, they're sorry only because they got caught. That's it. If they weren't caught, they'd still be living this sinful lifestyle, whatever it is. And they say, oh, I'm sorry. And they want to go back to like, like normal, like everything's fine and dandy. Whoa, like what, what's happening here? Like, time out, time out. What is happening? What in the world is happening here? That Israel is in the same situation. They say, okay, you know, we're sorry, no big deal. Let's just, let, we're, we're, we're ready now, Moses. Look what happens here in verse 40. Here we are. In verse 40, here we are, and we will go to this place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. Wait a second. So, so now they want to be obedient? Now they're choosing obedience? And Moses said, Now why do you transgress the command of the Lord? Remember, the Lord told them. The Lord didn't say, Oh, yeah, go to the land of Canaan. The Lord said in verse 25, Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Turn around. This 11-day journey is going to be 40 years. Turn around. You have to face the music. You have to face the 40 years. That's what the command of the Lord is. But the people, they were sad. You know, they're sad. In, in verse 39, they mourned greatly. And then they wake up in the morning. Okay, it's a, you know, it's a new day. Yeah, yeah, we're, we'll be obedient now. We don't want to do 40 years in the wilderness. I like the 11 days better, so everything's fine. Ready to go. The land, the promised land, the land of milk and honey. Ready to go. Let's go. Come on, guys. What? 
Moses, in verse 41, Moses said, Now why do you transgress the command of the Lord? Now why do you transgress the command of the Lord? You're... Your very behavior is disobedient. You're, you guys, you guys are disobedient to the Lord right now. He didn't say to go to the mountain. He didn't say go into the land of milk and honey. He said that before, but look at how you behave. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. Reactionary. Because you have rejected the Lord, because you have not believed in the Lord, because you have complained against the Lord, you're going to fall in the wilderness. Instead of this 11-day journey, now it's 40 years. But the people wake up. Okay, we're good. Let's go. We're ready to go to Canaan now. We're ready to go. To oh, yeah, those giants. It's okay. I'll face the giants now that, you know, it, I have a choice now. 40 years with the giants. You know, 40 years or 11 days. I like the 11 days. But there's giants there. I don't care. I'll, I'll take the chance. I don't like 40 years. But so I, 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 I like the 11 days. I'll take on the giants. I don't care. I like this better. People like that. They like those options. Options. I like this. You know, is it this or is it that? Okay, I like options. Rather than hearing the Lord and obeying Him and being obedient to the will of the Lord and yielding to the Holy Spirit, you like options. Let me tell you, leverage against the Lord isn't good. Don't do that. <laughs> A lot of times people like to do that when they negotiate, you know, oh, I want leverage for this. I want leverage for that. Never do that with the Lord. Never, ever, ever do that with the Lord. Um, I want to play my cards right. Play my cards right. So let me see here. Do I do this? Do I do that? Okay. Now I'm faced with 40 years or 11 days. Okay. Wake up in the morning. Everything's fine and dandy. Let's go. Let's go to the land of milk and honey. No, it doesn't work that way. You have to reap what you have sown. In verse 41, and Moses said, Now why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Do not go up. See, the people now, let's go to Canaan. They're all they're all fine and dandy with the land of milk and honey. They're okay with the giants now that they have to face 40 years. They're fine with the giants. What happened to the fear? You see? Murmuring and complaining. What, what happened to the fear? You don't fear the giants anymore? And I, I don't mean to come off that way and saying like, you know, what's happening, Israel? Remember, these things were written for admonition, for our admonition as new covenant believers. That's what fear does. And in the face of fear, remember, fear begets this, begets that, begets this. And ultimately... Look, you know, the word the Lord says to Moses, how long will these people reject me? How long will these people despise me? How long will these people abhor me? How long will the people not believe me? The carcasses of you, he says in verse 29, who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness. The carcasses shall fall. And all the time, Satan is laughing. Mission accomplished. Because of the giants in Canaan. The same way Satan laughs today. Mission accomplished. When carcasses are falling. Carcasses of Christians are falling in their journeys. Falling in the wilderness. And Satan is laughing. Families destroyed. And Satan is laughing. Churches, ministries destroyed and satan is laughing see 
Where is the wisdom in these last days? And Moses is saying, do not go up, you guys. Don't go up. That very desire is disobedient because the Lord says, turn around. The Lord says, go back, but you know, the, the, the way of the Red Sea. Turn around. Do not go up lest you be defeated by your enemies, for the Lord is not among you. You see, they're not ready for battle. They want to enter into a fight without God. That's why Paul says to in the pastoral epistles, don't choose a novice. Don't forget that Satan is a fisherman too. You see people, they want to go into like sex ministries. And I want to say sex ministries. I mean, like they want to like, uh, 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 pro- there's ministries that go, uh, the outreach to prostitutes. And say, oh yeah, you know, why wouldn't God want this lady to be a Christian? So I'm going to go and minister and minister to this lady. All of a sudden, they become a customer. They're going into battle and they're not equipped. It's not just they're not equipped, but the Lord is not calling them to that specific ministry. Or people go into drug ministries. Oh yeah, I'm going to go share the good news with these crackheads. And I'm a former crackhead, so I can, I'm equipped to, to help them. So I, I know what to expect. I know that lifestyle, so I can relate to them. So I'm a crack former crackhead, you know, I'm a Christian. Why wouldn't God want these crackheads to be Christian? So I'm going to partake in this ministry. And because Satan's a fisherman too, and because you're ill-equipped, you're immature, you're just a baby. What happens? You get caught up in that lifestyle. Now you're a crackhead again. You see, where's the wisdom? It's not to say that the Lord doesn't want Israel to go to the land of milk and honey. But in reaction to the people, remember the Lord is reactionary. I'm not a Calvinist. The Lord is reactionary. He responds to the people because of their fear, because of their rejection of him. The Lord tells him, you shall know my rejection. In verse 34, you shall know my rejection. And they wake up in the morning. Okay, we're good to go. You know, we repented. We're good to go. So now, uh, you know, let's, let, let's do it. We're ready for the milk and honey now. They're going, they're, they're going to a battle without, they're, they're not equipped. They're not ready for the fight. In verse 43, for the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you. This is Moses. Don't go. The Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you and you shall fall by the sword. Very interesting. You shall fall. by. how many times do you see people go into ministries and they fall? They fall. Oh, the Lord called me to be a pastor. Did the Lord call you to be a pastor? I think so. I want to do good for my community. So I'm going to be a pastor. Then you see people enter pastoral ministry. When Brother James writes, let not many of you be teachers. And then what do you see? You see this person, they become a man pleaser. Instead of a God pleaser, they become a man pleaser. Why? Because they want the numbers. How do I get all these people? I want to get all these people. So the people don't like to hear this. They like to tickle their ears. So I'm going to tickle ears. And I need more people, more people, more people, more tithes, more tithes, more tithes. More people, more people, more tithes, more tithes. So I'm going to tickle their ears. I dare not teach, you know, this book. I dare not teach about judgment. I dare not, you know, I'm just going to skip over Numbers 14 because I don't like to teach about, you know, judgment. You're a hireling. If that's the case, that's a hireling. That's not good. 
the full counsel of the word of God, we start to see the Lord's perspective on these carnal behaviors. And it's not good. You shall fall by the sword. How many men do you see fall by the sword? They can have all kinds of good intentions. Oh yeah, I'm going to go work with these crackheads. I'm going to go work with these prostitutes. I'm going to go work with fill in the blank, whatever, what they want to call a ministry. I'm going to go work in this ministry in this capacity. I'm going to go help this person. I'll help this person. Everything. The intent could be fine and dandy. But Satan's a fisherman. And if you're not wise, and if you're not equipped, you're not trained in hand-to-hand combat, metaphysically speaking, spiritually speaking. You're not trained in how to fight. You don't know how to fight. You know what's going to happen? You're going to fall. And the fall will be great. And you're going to wake up in the morning and think, okay, I'm sorry, everything's good to go. No, you have to reap what you have sown. What could have been 11 days is now 40 years. Oh, but I don't want to do 40 years. Okay, everything's good to go. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll be a Christian now. I'll be hardcore. No, Number one, you're only sorry because you got caught. Number two, you have to reap what you have sown. It could be that your 11-day journey turns into 40 years or 20 years or whatever. But people don't like that. Babies don't like that. You say, what do you mean babies? Well, turn to Hebrews 12 really quick. Um, Hebrews 12, verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without, I mean, this this is the word of God. I mean, I know we live in cultures where people don't spank their kids anymore. They don't like to chasten their kids anymore. But look at culture too. Look at the fruit. Look at all the, look at the millennial generation. That's like the largest concentration of crazy people. I meant outside of a mental institution. The largest concentration of crazy people you'll find in the millennial generation. Now, if you're millennial listening, I love you. I don't say this to hurt your feelings. I say this because, you know, I call it like I see it. But what's interesting about the millennial generation is that you also have the largest concentration of parents who, oh, I don't want to spank my kids. I don't want to spank the kids. What does the Bible say? Spoil spoil the child when you uh, uh, remove the rod. You see? So the Bible... Chapter 12, verse 8, if you're, uh, 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 when, he, when he says in verse 7, if you're endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Now, a hundred years ago, we would read that and everybody shake their head. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, I've been spanked before. How many, uh, look around, okay? You've been spanked before, you know, so everybody's been spanked. But in the millennial generation where you have the largest concentration of crazy people, where you also find the largest concentration of, you know, their parents, they, they never spank their kids. 
it's like very popular, you know, in the 90s, in the in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, don't spank your kids, don't spank your kids. It's corporal punishment, corporal punishment. It's bad, it's bad. Now look at the fruit. What son is there whom a father does not chasten? A hundred years ago, everybody like, yep, this is true. But today, people are like, oh, this sounds kind of violent. We better rewrite the Bible. And that's what's happening. The Bible is being re rewritten. In verse 8. But if you are without chastening of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. It translates in the King James Version as you are bastards. Illegitimate. And not sons. I don't want to be a not son. I don't want you to be a not son. I want you to be a son. I want you to be a daughter. I want you to be my brother. I want you to be my sister in Christ. You see? In verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So what if your 11-day journey turns out to be 40 years? Yes, it's painful. But no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Allow the Lord to do His work. If it's 10 years, 20 years, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, let the Lord do his work. Be trained by what is happening in the state of chastening. It doesn't seem to be joyful, but it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Let's go back to Numbers 14. In Numbers 14, verse 43, in closing, for the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword because you have turned away from the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. You see, the Lord is reactionary. Never forget that. I'm not a Calvinist. The Lord is reactionary. Real time, the Lord is reactionary. The Lord responds to the behaviors of the people. The Lord responds to the rejection of the people. The Lord will not be with you. How many Christians? Christians. And you see the large concentration among milk drinkers. That's why you hear me say, Satan doesn't mind babies. Because among the babies, you also see a large concentration of fear. Satan doesn't mind. In verse 44, but they presume to go up to the mountaintop. So everything is okay. They're presumptuous. In their presumption, oh, everything is fine. We're good to go. We're the people of God. We've repented. Everything's good to go. They wake up in the morning and instead of being obedient to the Lord, where the Lord says in verse 25, tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Now they want to be obedient. I don't like the 40 years. I like 11 days better. I don't like the chastening. You see, let chastening have its place. Because if we are without chastening, we are illegitimate. We are bastards. It's how the King James puts it. We are bastards. I don't want that said of me. I don't want that said of you. Nevertheless, neither the ark 
of the covenant of the Lord, no Moses nor Moses departed from the camp. So the people they're going they remember in, in chapter one, these are able-bodied men who are able to go to war, fighters, so-called fighters, except number one, they were afraid of the giants. Number two, now it's like, okay, we'll face the giants, but they're facing the giants without the Lord. You know, everyone's like, okay, we're face our giants, face our giants. Yes, you know, but where's the Lord? Is the Lord with you? Are you with the Lord? Are you abiding in Christ and Christ in you? You see? Babies don't understand these things. I say babies because, you know, we're, in our, we're also in our study in Corinthians and our Sunday studies. And you see what the Lord has to say about babies, the youthful. Let it ring true the necessity, the importance, the call to mature, to grow in Christ. And so all of a sudden, look what happens here. Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. So now the people are going, you know, they're doing their own thing. Look at battles today. People who go into ministry. Oh, God is with me. God is with me. God is with me. But where is the obedience? The, what you see, the fruit, shows lack of obedience. It also shows no fruit of the Holy Spirit, which means what? You want to go into battle like that? Where you don't see the fruit of the Spirit. You see, so somebody says, okay, uh, you know, I, 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 pray with me, brother. Pray with me, sister. Okay, what, what, what are we praying for? Well, I'm going to go into this ministry. I'm going to go work with, you know, the, the prostitutes. I'm going to go work with the drug addicts. Okay, let's look at your fruit. Uh, I don't see any fruit, so don't go. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of easy. No fruit, don't go. You see fruit of the Spirit? Okay, that's a good indicator. Sound doctrine? Yeah, okay, good indicator. You know, how long have you been a Christian? A week? Don't go. You see, how long have you been a Christian? You know, five years, ten years. What do you know of the Lord? Can we speak about deep spiritual things or do we? are we talking about milk things? See, all these things factor in. Okay, let's pray. Let's pray. You know, the, the check mark, you know, sound doctrine, you know, humility. Okay. Check marks good. Let's pray. Let's seek the face of the Lord. Let's do it together. Lord, what is your will? Is you know, okay, let's go into this ministry. Let's go here. Oh, I want you to pray with me, brother. I want you to pray with me, sister. I think the Lord is calling me into this ministry. Wait a second. Don't forget Satan presents himself as an angel of light. Don't forget that. Don't forget that you have to test the spirits to see whether they're of the Lord or not. And don't forget Satan wants you to fall. So he'll present himself as an angel of light and say, Oh, yes, thus saith the Lord, I am calling you into this, you know, drug ministry. I'm calling you into this prostitute ministry. I'm calling you into this whatever ministry. And people, because they're babies, oh, the Lord told me this, so I'm going to go do it. They go do it, unwise, no fruit of the Spirit, no humility. You see the fruit of the flesh, and then what do you see? A fall. I mean, I, I, it's kind of easy to identify these things, but babies can't see it. That's why there's the call to mature in Christ. 
And just like you see people, Moses is telling the people, don't go. Do not go. Verse 42, do not go up. Everything looks fine. I mean, if we were on the outside looking in without this backdrop of what we studied in chapter 13 and 14 so far, everything would look fine. I'm going to say we're like, you know, on a, the, 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 the other mountaintop. And we're observing, wow, look, the people of God, they're going to go and they're going to go face the Amalekites. Wow, this looks good. This looks like it's so awesome. It's so beautiful. But what you don't see is the disobedience because it's the Lord that sees the hearts. And it's the Lord in speak, who knows the heart of the multitude in speaking to Moses, in speaking to Aaron. Gave them judgment on the people. It is a time of judgment. Because of their infidelity, because of their whoredom, this is what I'm going to do. And Moses, Aaron, you tell them this. And Caleb, Joshua, I saw them. They stand for me. They have a different spirit. They're going to pass through, but not these people. They're little ones. They're babies. Can you imagine? Say you're a parent and you're carrying like a two-year-old. You're carrying a one-year-old. You're carrying a... Say you just had a baby. That baby is going to pass through the promised land, not you. Wow. Judgment. In verse 44, Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in that mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. Defeat. Defeat. Wow. You see people go into ministry and then, you know, they're defeated. Why? They're ill-equipped. They're not ready. Not ready. You know, this so beautifully matches our study in, in, in Corinthians and in 1 Corinthians. Because it's dangerous to go to battle with babies. It's dangerous. I mean, you go to battle today, you know, what do you see? You see like young adults. You don't see the old adults, you know. The, the old adults have, uh, you, know, they, you know, maybe they're more sore. They can't move as, you know, as the young people. But, you know, you got some old codgers, you know. That are able-bodied. Look at the census in, in Israel in Numbers 1. Able to go to war, age 20 and above. Able to go to war. Strong men. What about in Christ? Who are the ones who are able to go to war? And I'm not speaking like, you know, to fight, like, you know, punch people out and kick them. And, you know, I'm not talking about that. Yeah, I say things, you know, roll on the mat and train. But I'm speaking about training metaphysically and spiritually. That's what's so beautiful about the book of Acts. Because you see people empowered by the Holy Spirit, men, women. You see Philip. You see uh, Lydia. You see all these people, Paul, uh, Peter, Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Remember, the son of encouragement is uh, Joseph. That was his name. But his moniker given by the apostles was the son of encouragement. Not given by Joshmo, given by the apostles Barnabas, son of encouragement. You see, a spirit-filled people, and they're going to fight. They're going to combat, hand-to-hand combat, in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's what you see in the book of Acts. Oh, that was for another dispensation. That's not for today. The Holy Spirit did, you know, a different ministry back then. It's not for today. 
Rubbish. Rubbish. You will never see an expiration date on the ministry of the Holy Spirit like they proclaim. You will never see that. So why do they proclaim it? Because they heaped up for themselves teachers. And their so-called teachers, they say these things and they just puppet what the teachers say. And what do they do? They go off into their fables. You see? It's the last days. We're going to end our study here and pick up next week in chapter 15, Lord willing. And as we see this study in chapter 13 and 14 corporately together, let us learn this great message of fear. Let our fear be properly placed in the Lord and in the Lord alone. God bless you guys. Love you guys.